Welcome to the Like, Bite, and Share podcast, brought to you by Schweiden Sons. Learn the secrets of food and hospitality marketing from some of the best professionals in the food business. Here are your co-hosts, Rev Ciancio from Schweiden Sons and Brad Garoon from BurgerWeekly.com. Hi, Brad. Hey, Reverend. I heard you've eaten a, a bunch of burgers lately. I went out last weekend and I ate a bunch of burgers. I went on a little burger tour, but there's one in particular I want to talk about. Wait, I want to know how many burgers in the tour first. Uh, three. Uh, were they all in the same neighborhood? No. Were you with Mike Tanzillo? Yeah. God bless, I can nail him. All right, so tell us about your burger. Uh, so the one I want to talk about is at a place in Hell's Kitchen called Dutch Fred's. Dutch Fred's is apparently named after the cop who coined the term Hell's Kitchen. I find that claim dubious, but... Interesting. Yeah, they're really running with that theme at that restaurant. But the reason I want to talk about the burger is when you were a kid or in your adult life, have you spent any time at country clubs? Um, I almost worked at one when I was like 14 or 15. Uh, but for the most part since then, not really. Once in a while. Yeah, so I also, not a ton of time. My family never belonged to one, my immediate family. Uh, my grandmother in her old age joined one down in, in uh, Florida. And the burgers at Dutch Fred's, gave me this crazy nostalgic rush so similar to a country what i consider a country club burger and i think what makes a country club burger i'm coining this now if it hasn't been already is burgers that rely heavy on the onion both raw red and white cooked inside the patty that's what i'm going to go with as a country club style burger and then heavy on the lettuce heavy on the tomato heavy on heavy on the rabbit food in general the only difference between this burger and a country club burger is I found that country club burgers, as I have known them, are on Kaiser rolls, a big minus. Not a fan. Yeah, not great. This was on a hollow roll, much more well done. Yeah, I can't say I've spent a lot of time at country club. I will tell you this, though. Our, our buddy George Motes uh, has a country club that he's a part of, and he does a big, like, George Motes' is cooking hamburger day at the country club, and they do onion burgers. Yeah, so there must be something to this. We may have to investigate. Yeah. How was your 4th of July, buddy? It, it was wonderful. I went to a, a couple of different barbecues. I did not go to restaurants like you. Uh, and I brought some Schweidenson's burgers everywhere I went, and some I cooked, and some I let other cook, people cook. Which did you think were better? Um, it's always interesting to me to see how other people cook a burger I eat all the time. I know that's not an experience that everybody can share. But, you know, universally, I'll say this, and I guess probably anybody we've asked this question to would say the same thing. If you start with good meat, you know, you're still going to have a good burger. So, you know, whereas I might cook it a little different with different seasoning than my cousin did or whatever, like, it's all still really good. That makes for a good fourth. This was the first fourth of July. Actually, this was the first grilling holiday in a while that I didn't grill and or or, or go to a place where there was grilling t- happening. But I did go to Joe's. Uh, I did dip my feet in the kiddie pools at Joe's Bar on the Upper West Side and ate some hot dogs off our new uh, summer hot dog bar. So. I did something interesting, and then it turned out to be a mistake, and I would do it differently next time. I got some huge slab bacon. I mean, when I say huge, there was like 18-inch long rashers. I don't even know how they made this. Um, and I wanted to cook them as like a base on my friend's grill and then cook the burgers in the grease. But he didn't have like a grill mat or a skit. Like, he basically had no way for me to do that. So I constructed like little pans made of olive oil and cooked the bacon in it. And that was fine for cooking the bacon. And it was fine for the first round of burgers. But as I pulled up the burgers, 
I ripped some of the tinfoil and started the biggest bacon grease fire you've ever seen, and it ruined the rest of that idea. Yeah, I bet. That happened to me on Memorial Day, man. If you use the wrong pan and your oil gets caked, you're you're done. Like, that's a fire. Yeah, but I'll tell you what. Uh, the the Schweid, the, the Katana, which is our uh, USDA uh, Wagyu, in, in, like, really nice bacon grease was ridiculous. Sounds delicious. You know what else sounds delicious? Beer. beer. Yeah, I'm really <laughs> excited about our show today. We've been talking about getting beer reps and beer-focused bars and beer distributors on for a while and finally made it happen. Rev, you're about to give a pretty big bio of our guests, so I won't take up any more of everybody's time. Uh, but this is going to be a really good one for beer lovers and, you know, just bar enthusiasts in general. Olivia Cerillo is the regional brand manager and Metro New York sales team leader at Empire Brewing Company, a brewery located in Syracuse, New York. She's been with the company since 2010, where she started as an assistant brewer and eventually moved into a sales position and eventually taking over one of their largest and most important sales markets. Uh, On any given day, you'll see Olivia running around bars, uh, local bars, restaurants, retail locations, as well as running the Empire booth and pouring beers at festivals and conventions. We are also joined by Jen Maslanka. She's the manager and beer buyer at the highly respected Spring Lounge in New York City, uh, a bar whose history dates back to 1920. The Spring Lounge, under Jen's direction, is known for having a rotating tap list of some of the best and most sought-after craft beers uh, available, as well as year-round unique craft beer tasting and food events, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, we've invited these two experts on the show today to talk about how you can use beer programs and work with brand managers to bring in more business to your bar and restaurant, uh, and also because they've brewed a commercially available beer together, but we'll get into that later. Olivia, let's start with you. What type of bar or restaurant is the right type to run a branded beer program or event? That's a very broad question. You know, um, there's bars and restaurants that have that something for everyone, and I think that um, having a really wide selection just kind of brings in more people and just opens yourselves up to a wider audience that maybe um, wouldn't have been interested before with just regular domestic non-rotating lines. And I also think that restaurants as well, stepping up their beer program also invites a whole other crowd of people. So if I'm hearing you correctly, the answer is any bar or restaurant. Yeah, I think (laughs) everyone should have um, options all over the map. So Jen is one of those, those bars. What's the hardest part about managing one of the very few bars in New York City that has an 8 a.m. license? Wow, that's a that's an interesting question. Uh, well, the fact that we open at 8 a.m. actually isn't difficult at all. It it makes my life easier because there's getting deliveries early in the morning is uh, is great when you're not busy and uh, you know there's always there's always someone there. So there's always someone there to drink the beer. Mm-hmm. You know, the, <laughs> the biggest challenge for a place like us in terms of the beer list specifically is really trying to strike a balance um, and find something for everybody when you only have 12 lines. You know, we are such an old school establishment and what we were 15 and 20 years ago is not who we are today. Who we were 40 years ago is not who we are today. And it's a constant challenge to stay relevant with the times, not only in the beer industry, in the, you know, in the beverage industry in general, because that's always evolving. So let's, let's back up a bit. So starting at 8 a.m., what does a typical day of work look like? A typical day, you know, I, some days I come in early in the morning. I I even try to get here before we open, which sometimes means I get here at 6 or 7 a.m. just so I can have eyes on the place where, uh, with no one else around, you know, you want to be able to be upstairs in the room 
you know, checking light bulbs, tinkering, seeing if something's dirty, is something broken, does something need to be changed. That's really difficult to do during business hours. So usually my day starts out like that, um, you know, and then deliveries start rolling in pretty much right away at 8 a.m. So I'm putting in delivery, you know, taking in deliveries and putting those away, you know, organizing all of that stuff, figuring out what beers are on, what's, what kegs are about to kick, what, what do I need to order for the rest of the week? Is there a holiday? Is something specific happening with my delivery schedule? And then just setting up money for the day, you know, your basic uh, managerial duties, you know, making sure that there's toilet paper and bar napkins and straws for everybody. It's, it's actually a pretty mundane job. I was going to say, you sound so excited about the toilet paper aspect it's... of the job. <laughs> the toilet paper aspect is the most important aspect, actually. Well, I, I wouldn't doubt that for a second. <laughs> I'll tell you what, if I'm ever in the bar and I don't see toilet paper there, I'm going to be very upset. I promise <laughs> it will never happen. <laughs> That's fantastic. We heard from someone else, I forget which guest it was, I'm so bad at this, that, if you, that uh, the littlest things make the most difference, like uh, coat hangers and bathrooms. Yes, not only in bathrooms, but underneath the bar. That is my biggest pet peeve is when I go to someone else's bar and I go to hang my bag or my coat underneath the lip of the bar, you know, underneath the bar stool, and there's no, there's no little hanger there. Yeah, sitting on your jacket is never fun. No, and also it's, you know, uh, well, what we tell customers all the time, I mean, if your bag is hanging over the back of your chair or your jacket's hanging over the back of your chair, that's just an opportunity for someone to steal your wallet. For sure. Oh, horrifying. Which is definitely going to happen in New York. Olivia, tell us about what a regional brand manager does. Well, I'm responsible for sales and events, uh, marketing, promotion, um, working with our distributor, uh, taking care of retail accounts like bars and restaurants, and then also um, just keeping a general face to the name and making sure that we're out there and making sure people know who we are and setting up events and stuff like that. So if it happens inside New York City, you did it or you touched it? Pretty much, yeah. And we have a couple people that have recently joined our team as we expand, but being with the company as long as I have, I end up being the one who trains them. So I'm working on a lot of that right now. We're, we're in a pretty big transition right now with the new brewery that we just opened. So before we segue, let's take that path. Can you tell us a little bit about Empire Brewery? I know that you guys have a, just made a huge announcement. Yeah, so we started as a brew pub in downtown Syracuse in 1994 and um, had a lot of success there. It's definitely a staple of Armory Square, which is a really cool area in Syracuse. And uh, after 18 years, we decided to see how our beer would do outside of our four walls. So we started contract brewing a couple of our best-selling beers at a space in Brooklyn called Greenpoint Beer Works. And we did that for four years, um, got the name out there got distribution. We were all draft only. We led with those same four beers the whole time, and it was extremely successful. So we went forward with a pretty large expansion, and we just opened up a farmstead brewery. It's on 22 acres of land. It's a 40,000-square-foot production facility. So we've expanded our you know, portfolio. We have a bunch of new offerings. We have bottled beer for the first time, and we're going to start opening up a couple of new markets. And so we're brewing all the beer upstate at the new facility now. Very exciting. I've been to the brew pub, and now I want to go to the farm. The, the farm, farm is amazing. It's really spectacular. I was just up there this weekend, and it's just open to the public within the last couple of weeks. So we're working on a couple of kinks in the tasting room, but we have an awesome staff and a lot of people that are really dedicated to the cause. And having the whole farmstead aspect is really unique. We're growing about 25% of our own ingredients right on site. So it's pretty great. It's a really cool destination. There's a lot to see and do when you come visit. 
Ooh, does that mean one of my favorite Empire brews may come back into uh, into life? Uh, which one? I, the name is escaping me, but there was one that Tim made that was all, it was the first beer in like 100 years that was all New York ingredients. Yeah, that was probably, I think, the wheat wine. He did that was the wheat it. wine instead of the barley wine. We made it with all New York State wheat. Yeah, I'm sure that will make an appearance. We'll do a couple of um, estate series beers. Well, you'll have to pour it at uh, at the Shark Bar. And speaking of Shark Bar, uh, <laughs> how, about, how about that that special segue? Jen, tell us a little bit about the history of Shark Bar and what makes it so special. Well, the uh, the Spring Lounge, the location itself has been a bar in some uh, iteration for about. I think about 80 years, going back to about sometime in the 1930s. We're not sure the exact year. So, you know, the, the, the rumors over the years have been that it was definitely a speakeasy during Prohibition era. Um, and, you know, there are stories about how, uh, you know, it was, there used to be, uh, in like the 40s, there used to be craps tables in the basement uh, where nightly craps games were going on. Um, and it's been the Spring Lounge since about the, you know, the mid-70s. And those, those former owners were you know, local neighborhood people um, who the, the work up the nickname the Shark Bar is we have stuffed sharks on our walls. And those stuffed sharks are actually sharks that those previous owners from the 70s caught off the coast of Florida. Um, so, you know, and I guess if it's, if it's 1970 something and you catch a shark, you hang it on the wall of your bar. <laughs> um, it's kind of how that goes. So, um, so the locals start, started to call it the shark bar, you know, as its nickname and, and that just stuck. And, and when my boss, Brian took it over in 1997, um, he really tried to keep it as, as much the same as possible in the sense of he wanted it to still be a very comfortable neighborhood bar where all the locals could go, but just make it a little nicer, you know, tweak it a little bit, put in some proper tap lines, not have just garbage cans filled with bottles of Heineken behind the bar, but, you know, truly upgrade it and update it, um, but still keep the same vibe. Um, and that's that's what I think makes the Spring Lounge special, besides the fact that we do open at 8 a.m. and we are one of the few bars in the city that does that. Um, I think what makes us special is that we are, we're truly a, a place where almost anybody can feel comfortable. I think i got to hit the Spring Lounge more often. Um, <laughs> Olivia, what's the best way for a brand manager to choose which of their customers gets support from the brand? Well, some people... Um are more involved than others in what they carry. Like you become friends with a lot of people and um, on the other side of the bar, like Jen and I have become great friends through us, you know, me selling her beer. And I like to support those people that I have those relationships with that have been so loyal to us. So it's a hard balance between getting new people and, you know, maintaining a close relationship working with them, but also all the people that have worked with you for so long, you know, it's such a big city and there's so many places to go and see. Um, it's just a constant rotation of, you know, I try to see my top 50 accounts at least once a month. Um, some people are needier than others. Some people just like appreciate when you stop by and say hi. But some people want to do regular tastings and have you, you know, involved with their staff trainings and things like that. Everything, every bar and restaurant is so very different. 
So when you're when you're walking into a bar or a restaurant for the first time, do you walk in ready to give them like the full presentation of what you can do as a brand manager, or do do you play it uh, as it would as the meeting goes? I I the reason I like my job so much is that I don't. I, we don't have sales in our titles, and we don't have to necessarily do a lot of cold calls. We more maintain relationships and um, accounts that we either already have or people that seek us out or people that our distributor um, leads us to. So I'm not actually walking into a lot of places and, and just introducing myself and trying to get in front of someone. Either I know who's there and I have a set time or I'm just going to drop off beer and try to check back later or something like that. But it's not very often that you, especially with how many breweries and beer reps there are now, that you walk right in somewhere and find out who's there and then have a full just like spiel right away. Usually it takes a little bit of time. Can you give us some examples of, of specific ways in which Let's say let, let's let's get very specific in ways in which the two of you have worked together uh, to set up promos or, or promote the brand or to promote the bar. We have a unique uh, relationship because it, Spring Lounge is one of the first places that ever carried our beer when we first came to New York in 2010. We had one nitro cream ale option, and uh, our the owner and brewmaster of Empire walked into Spring Lounge and hit it off with Jen, and she's carried our beer ever since. So we've done a lot together. Absolutely. I was going to say, you know, and even regarding to your last question, um, I, I think what works for some some bar owners won't work for others. You know, when Dave and Tim uh, walked into the Spring Lounge that day to sell me cream ale, it was just a couple of guys with no beer to taste and just a weird <laughs> video on a laptop about how they made beer. But we ended up sitting around a table drinking other beers and just talking for like an hour or maybe more and and it it was right there that the relationship happened you know it, it truly is about the the personal relationships that you build with people and I think because Olivia and I also hit it off right away and I had that standing relationship with Dave and Tim and I really respected what they were doing I liked their beer a lot it made it easier for uh, easy for Olivia and I to just sort of carry on with that yeah, and we've um, done a couple of cool collaboration projects since then, and I'm sure that Sweetfire is going to come up on this conversation. But we've also done, you know, um, well, we've I've done a kegs and eggs with you guys, right? Yep, we've done a couple of yeah, kegs we've done a couple of beer. kegs and eggs. I know I've done we did a midnight event with you guys. Yeah, <laughs> um, I don't remember what exactly that was for, but I know that Dave was hell bent on having a, a midnight start time. I was like, sure, let's do that. <laughs> Um, I think for us, it, it's always been about the playfulness of both the brewery and the bar and how, you know, while we're both very serious, you know, business-wise, at the same time, we don't really take ourselves too seriously. And I think that definitely reflects in, um, in the events that we've curated together. It, it sounds to me like the answer to a lot of these questions is like, we'll have a good relationship, and that's important. But let's uh, let's talk about some easy to execute beer promos. Let's think about somebody who's just sort of getting into this for the first time. They, you know, they're just sort of looking to expand their beer promo. They kind of don't know what to do. What are some general ideas or examples um, that like don't take a lot of setup time that could be done time and time again for a bar? Well, if there's a new beer being, you know, a new a new beer coming out, that's always a great opportunity to do a tasting. Like I'll go in, somebody will put our beer on tap, and I'll buy a pitcher of beer and take a couple of uh, sample cups and walk around, you know, if there's a regular crowd or if there's a happy hour crowd and just kind of gauge people's interests on, you know, 
having a conversation at the bar with a stranger who's passing around free samples of beer, it usually goes pretty well. But that's always a really easy option, just a quick, you know, tap feature or brewery night. You know, there's large-scale events that are very well planned out and well promoted and take a long time to work with um, the rep in the bar. Or there's something that's a little bit simpler, like a, you know, sampling happy hour event. Yeah, I think also someone could do, um, you know, we don't have a kitchen at the Spring Lounge, yet I always incorporate a food aspect to my events and if we had a kitchen here it would make that process a lot easier because I do think that's a very simple thing if you want to try to promote a beer and you already have a food menu in place then just pick an item off your menu um, you know team up with whoever the brewery rep is to figure out okay what beer would pair well with this and then you could just do a little pairing special you know for happy hour say whatever like your special burger or sandwich of the day is paired with this beer and you know that's an instant way to promote the beer because people are already looking at your food menu if they're in your establishment okay those promos made me very hungry um, <laughs> But but these promos, you know, you could have the best promo in the world, but if no one knows that it's happening, it doesn't matter. So how do you market these promos once you've got the plan all ready to go? That's definitely a collaborative effort, and some some bars and some breweries are better at it than others. Um, on the on the bar end, I know for us, we definitely want it posted on our website. We'll post it on all of our social media. We'll send out email blasts to our email list that we have where people can, you know, sign up on our email list through our website, um, you know, send out Facebook events and we'll Instagram photos of either the poster or the beer keg or something like that. Uh, and then you tweet about it and hopefully the brewery and the brewery rep will pick up on that and they will retweet and, and share and, you know, and, then you're working at it from both sides. You know, then my customers are now seeing their brewery page and their brewery customers or followers are now seeing my page and my event. And that's that's how you garner interest, really. You know, and then there's little things, there's more old school things like we hang posters and chalkboards around the bar for the people who, you know, some of our customers are actually aren't very tech savvy and they, they look up and they see a poster and they're like, oh, you're having an event on Tuesday, 6 o'clock, great, I'll come, you know. That's the biggest thing, but the, uh, I mean, you know, that's one thing, but the biggest thing is definitely this day and age, the online collaboration between both entities to turn the event into sort of an online conversation, like the thing people are talking about that week. And the event becomes a destination that way and people are there specifically for that in most cases. And if they're not, if it's just a, you know, a crowd that is there and would have been there whether you're having an event or not, I like to bring small flyers or small menus. I print up you know, tasting notes on whatever beer we're featuring and put the bar logo and our brewery logo. Just kind of like if it's a very casual setting bar like Spring Lounge, just maybe put those on the tables around the bar. Somebody will sit down and pick it up and they'll sit next to their coaster and they'll get some info and then maybe you know, see somebody with a logo on and get involved and engage them and ask them a question and then you have your audience. 
So we clearly brought the both of you on this show because not only do you have your relationship, but you're both really good at this and you're really seasoned and you have lots of answers. What advice would you give to somebody who doesn't have the level of experience that you guys have and doesn't have the relationship you have? You know, Olivia, once you've set up a promo with a bar, what are some things that they could ask you or a brand manager for to help them to promote that event? Well, it's always great when a bar knows what they want. It's a lot easier for the bar to know what they want and what works for them and their um, you know, customers versus a brewery might come in and have different ideas. So if a, if a bar can kind of imagine a, an event in their head and then communicate that to the brewery rep and then they can sometimes meet somewhere in the middle, that always really helps. Um, just as far as, like Jen said, if it's going to be a food and beer pairing, have that you know, uh, set up beforehand and have – everybody and staff on board um, or if it's a little bit more casual and it's just kind of like a sampling and you're walking like the brewery rep is walking around talking just for the, the bar owner or beverage director to know what's going to work for their setting. Some places are a little bit more formal and some places have you know more of a system or they want things to run a very specific way so it's just a lot about communication. So I doubt this has ever happened between the two of you but Something we, we probably should ask on this podcast more is for cautionary tales. So coming from either side, what's something that you've seen done poorly on the other side? So Olivia, for example, you like when people come to you, you know, knowing what they want uh, without obviously naming any accounts. What's an example of a really poor way to start promoting an event? Um, I just think when people sometimes try to do too much maybe and it doesn't really make sense, um, some simpler the better uh, unless you have a lot of experience doing that and th when you're starting out doing beer events, if it's not something that you've done before, start small, you know, get your, get your brewery reps involved and, and maybe they have some suggestions based on experience that they've done at other bars, but I, I definitely think that figuring out what works for your space is very important and sometimes it's very looked over and you know, somebody will come in and it's going to be completely packed with people that are just getting out of the office that aren't necessarily really interested in talking. They just want to have their drinks with their coworkers, and so maybe that wasn't the right time to set up an event. Or, you know, something like Jen said, there wasn't any posters anywhere or any menus anywhere, so no one knows there's an event happening. Just, I, I guess it's a cumulative little things like that that mm -hmm. lead to kind of a wasted promo on both sides. And then, Jenna, uh, do you ever are you ever approached by reps, present company excluded, obviously, that with, uh, with <laughs> lousy ideas? Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that. Well, for me, the, my big thing is I my pet peeve is um, whether it's it comes from the brewery itself or whether it comes from the distributor itself, and sometimes there is a miscommunication between those two entities that leads to you know an ultimate communication breakdown. But um, I I I hate it when people promise more than they can give, and I'm not talking you know, monetary or, oh, we're going to bring 100 people to your event. I don't mean that, but if you say a brewer is going to be there, then the brewer needs to be at the event. If you're saying that there's going to be uh, a certain amount of whether it's, you know, oh, we're going to do a giveaway of this prize or whatever, you know, that needs to be done. Like the, you can't promise something that you're not going to see through because on my end, I'm putting that stuff out there. You know, if I'm putting all over the internet that 
we're going to have a night with the head brewer or the owner of the brewery and that person doesn't show up and I never find out that the person's, you know, if, if it's a last minute emergency, that's one thing and then I can blast out there, hey, change of plans, sorry, they can't come. But if it's just, oh, they just don't show up and no one tells me, then then that just makes the bar look really bad, you know? Let's stay on that topic for a second uh, because when I owned a bar, this used to happen to me. What what do you do in the last minute? Well, like you can't blast it out. You can't do that. People are starting to walk in the bar. Either the person didn't show up, or the limited edition brew you ordered didn't get there. Like, how do you save that situation? Honestly, because it is a promo, you do have the advantage of you know if someone chances are someone will be there from the distributor or from the brewery itself, and that's when you're like, listen, you need to buy some a couple extra beers for people because they were expecting X, Y, and Z and now they're not getting it. And so to make them happy, you need to make them feel a little a little drunk enough to forget that they were maybe ever <laughs> upset. Honestly, like that's my that would be my go to. Yeah, there's other drunk. ways to go above and beyond when things like that happen to kind of save the day. Yeah, and if it's if you know Look, if it's somebody like a, a, a true beer geek who, you know, was just desperate to meet that brewery owner, well, then nothing that you can say or do is going to make them feel better. But if it's someone who really just wanted to pick someone's brain about a specific beer, I'm more than happy to do that and talk to someone. I'm sure whoever else is there from the brewery or the distributor is more than happy to sit there and do that. Or, quite frankly, in New York, we have the advantage of, uh, most beer events are never, uh, you know, not attended by other brewery reps. So it might be like, well, no one came from this brewery, but look, Olivia from Empire Brewery happens to be sitting right here wanting to ask her about her brewery. Yeah, there's, you know, we all roll in a pack. It's a pretty small and very friendly community of craft beer people. So chances are if there's a brewery event, there's five or more uh, reps from other breweries there supporting the event as well. Yeah. The insider secret is to always invite a second rep or have a second backup plan. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. How many? I'm wondering because I, I don't make it to enough of uh, enough of these events. But how many? How big and close knit is the beer geek community? I think uh, the beer geek community is different than the industry community. Well, I'll say this. I mean, actually, when it comes to the the super beer geek community, um, the Spring Lounge is actually not really part of a lot of their uh, you know their their normal hangouts um, and that's because we don't do those kinds of events where where people are getting like uber rare beers you know I mean if we do an event we'll get you know something special from a brewery for sure but um, you know so as far as the I think the I think the beer geek community is pretty tight-knit but it's the super tight-knit ones it's actually relatively small because they do all kind of travel in a pack. I mean, there's only a handful of bars that they all go to. And I think they also stay in their respective bars. You know, I don't think that there's a whole lot of cross-pollination amongst different bars, if that makes sense. Yeah, if somebody's going to seek out a specific beer, they probably know where they're going to do that, and it's not going to be, they're not really going to stumble in somewhere um, with those expectations, I don't think. Yeah. Well, then speaking of expectations, what do you two think are fair expectations for a, a bar or a restaurant to have from a brand manager when you're not doing an event or a promo? 
I actually don't necessarily expect very much from my brand managers. I mean, uh, the only thing I ever expect is to be told when new beers are coming into the market or if there's something special. Um, any issues that ha that I have with beer, obviously, if I reach out, I expect some sort of timely response. You know, if a keg is foamy or if a keg is flat or if I think a beer tastes off and I reach out to someone from that brewery, like the brand manager, you know, I would expect that they're going to get back to me within an hour or so, you know, um, just especially, you know, everyone has their cell phones attached to their hips these days. Other than that, I mean, you know, and yeah, I definitely expect uh, a certain amount of FaceTime with that person, but not an excessive amount. I mean, there's, you know, how many hundreds and hundreds of accounts in New York City. I don't expect them to be in my bar every week, you know, but a random every once in a while check-in is definitely, definitely nice. But I'm, again, when it comes back to the relationships, I'm actually friends with most of these people more than I consider us necessarily just colleagues. So when I want to hear from Olivia or when I reach out to her, it's actually less about beer and it's usually more on a personal level of, I just want to know how she's doing and I want to have lunch with her to catch up. And I feel that way about a lot of the brand reps in New York. But Jen is the uh, Jen is the exception, not the rule. <laughs> not Everyone else is a jerk. You heard it here first. Jen is the the best and easiest and most wonderful person to work with, which is why everyone loves her oh, and is stop. friends with her. Now I'm blushing and you can't see it. <laughs> yeah, let's let's take that question to you. Uh, you know, what kind of expectations should a bar owner or bar manager have for a brand manager if it's not time to do an event? I definitely think what Jen said was very important, you know, just being available. Um, we have so many accounts to see, but if somebody needs something and they reach out to you, it is very important that, you, that they know that you're available and that they'll get your attention if they reach out. Um, we spend a lot of time trying to get new business, but also, like I said, maintaining business is extremely important. So, like I, I mentioned that I try to get to my accounts once a month, um, people that keep our beer on regularly. And if I can't get there, then I reach out uh, you know, via text or email, but I, I think that it's it's pretty, I think it's pretty standard to expect to see your rep every once in a while to drop in and say hello, especially if it's a place that carries your beer on a regular basis, and uh, I like to, I like to do staff trainings, that's one of my favorite parts about my job, so I think it's reasonable for a, brew, a, a bar to expect or to hope, and they would have to ask, you know, we don't read minds, we definitely need to know what you want, and if that you have expectations, it's great if you communicate those so that the rep knows, because every place, like I said, is so different. Some people mm -hmm. don't really want to see you. They want to just run their business as usual, and if you stop, stop by kind of under the radar, that's great, but they don't necessarily need anything, or they don't want to be bothered sometimes. Um, it's hard to tell, so it's it's really important to to communicate so that hopefully that rep knows what you're what you're looking for. So we're going to shift this conversation a little bit to customer expectations. Let's talk about the swag for a second. You've got branded pint glasses, coasters, bottle openers, t-shirts. Do customers actually care about these things and, and are they good promotional tools or or can you do without without them and, and save yourself the cost? I think every place is different. Again, some people don't carry branded anything just based on the aesthetic of their establishment, but some people want to have brewery stuff on all aspects of the bar, you know, behind the bar and on and uh, on the other side. So I think it's great 
marketing tool for a brewery that to have pint glasses and coasters out there, you know, it gets people talking about your brand sometimes or just an image that sticks in their mind maybe. Um, yeah, I, I think every bar is, depends on what their style is and what kind of theme the bar or restaurant is, whether or not they use branded POS. Yeah, I think um, in my experience, uh, T-shirts and hats always go first. Um, so if you're a brewery and you want to bring swag that people actually want, uh, that's, I know that's more expensive swag, but at the same time, you have to look at it as it's free advertising. If someone's walking down the street with your, with a t-shirt with your brewery name on it, that's just free advertising for you. Um, you know, keychains are definitely probably the least popular of all the swag and stuff like, t um, coasters and, and branded glassware, I think is smart to just have in the bar, again, because it's name recognition. You know, the most important thing for any brand is always going to be name recognition, and the more someone sees your name, the more it's going to stick in their brain, even if they don't know where they saw it. So if you have coasters all over a bar that say Empire Brewery, for example, someone might see that, you know, a beer, you know, one of Empire beer on a draft list and be like, oh, Empire, that name sounds familiar. Sure, I guess I'll have that. I must have had it before. And not even realize, maybe they never even heard of it, but they just saw the name on a coaster. Maybe it's just me. I never cared about any of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what I did care about, though, and this is my question. Um, what is the best way for a bar or restaurant to get access to you know, limited time, seasonal, or unique brews from a brewery. I mean, do you do you have to be a volume account? Do you have to have the relationship like you two? Like, what? How, how does the bar get into that kind of thing? Depends on how limited the beer is. You know, if it's something that ten kegs go out for the whole island of Manhattan, usually we kind of allocate those to the most loyal accounts that carry our regular core beer on the rest of the time, and that's kind of like a thank you for doing that. But then there's also places that strictly carry really one-off kegs like that and everything that they put up is unique and um, people are going to come specifically for that beer. So depending on what kind of bar you have already established, for example, the Blind Tiger, even if they haven't sold our Amber Ale or our Cream Ale for six months, if something special comes in, I want to tell them because that's where I want, that's where the audience is for the people that are going to appreciate that beer. So it's definitely a mix of the two of those. Okay, so we got we got a big one here. We're gonna ask Olivia first. What <laughs> what is the likelihood that you would give discounts on a beer to an account, and how often do you get asked to do it? We can't do that actually. Um, we as a brewery don't do any sort of pay to play um, in that regard. There are some structures um, that distributors have worked out with certain accounts that we just stay out of. So I don't have too much input on that specific question, but Jen might have some more. Jen, do you ever ask for discounts? Um, I don't ask for discounts per se. Um, we do have uh, volume discounts that I get with certain distributors, and that's just based on you know, it's the same for the beer uh, that I order as it is for the liquor that I order, which is if I order, you know, um, X number of kegs a week from a distributor, I get basically just a baseline discount on certain brands. Um, definitely not on everything. Definitely never on anything specialty. And I would say most of the discounts I get are not 
really um, with too many craft brands. Well, I, cl I clearly threw that out there to be a little controversial. So, <laughs> How did we so, do? <laughs> you, did, you did a great job. I, I know that when I was running my bar, we literally never asked for them, and I would have reps come in all the time thanking us for not asking for them. Uh, I kind of feel like if you are a if you're a brand manager that's giving out discounts or you're the bar manager, beer buyer, owner, asking for discounts, you probably shouldn't be in this conversation anyway. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I actually have gone to distributors and told them about some, you know, shady, shady business that was brought to me on the side once or twice uh, with a you know, specific rep who, you know, will never be named, but um, where they were offering me uh, excessively discounted beer and even, you know, to buy stuff in cash off the back of a truck. Uh, which I was surprised Whoa. didn't still happen earlier. Yeah, totally. Um, and I went to the I went to the distributor manager and I, I let them know what was going on. I'll tell you what a jerk I am. I had that happen to us once at Idle Hands, and I said no. And then I went to like one of the local places where you can pick up beer. And I bought the keg and I brought it and I paid full price. And then I sent them the photo of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. I should also note for yeah. the audience listening that that bar is no longer in business, so maybe you shouldn't listen to my ideas. <laughs> Anyway, all right, so let's, let's take this to a more positive uh, arena. Both of you collaborated on a beer together that was mentioned earlier called Sweet Fire uh, that was made by Empire. This is kind of like the ultimate way for, like, bars and breweries to work together. Can you guys explain what Sweet Fire is and, like, how it came together? Yeah, sure. So Sweet uh, Fire came as an idea. We wanted to do a special limited release for New York City Craft Beer Week, and... So I, um, we have a small brewery. The brew pub I mentioned is a seven-barrel system, so it makes 12 kegs at a time. So it gives us a lot of flexibility to do small pilot batches, if you will. So I got uh, five of our best accounts and of my best friends, who all happen to be women, um, who ran these best, you know, some of the best bars in New York. They all came up to the brewery. We collaborated on a style. We came up with a imperial chocolate stout with chili peppers. We called it Sweet Fire, and we brewed it together with the help of our uh, the guys at the brewery. Um, and then we released it only at those bars during New York Craft Beer Week, and it came out really delicious, and it got a great following. And we've done it about four years in a row now. And Spring Lounge is one of the bars that has been involved since the beginning. This chocolate spicy thing is all the rage right now. It is, yeah. It wasn't when we first did it. We wanted to brew something mm -hmm. to kind of throw people off. And uh, it's since taken on a lot of popularity just as a style. Yeah, and, and that year, Craft Beer Week was in, uh, it was the first year, I think, that Craft Beer Week had been moved to February. Yep. And so we thought, you know, well, for a February, a February release, you know, uh, an Imperial Stout kind of made sense. And then just spinning off ideas of, okay, how do we make an Imperial Stout, you know, unique? Well, speaking of unique, I think you guys are going to have unique answers for our next few questions. <laughs> We, uh, we ask all of our guests these questions as we close out, and they are, in my opinion, the most important ones. Not that your careers aren't incredibly important, but <laughs> we want to know about your childhoods, too. So uh, let's start with Jen. Yeah. What was your favorite burger from childhood? Um, well, we never actually really went out to eat when I was a kid because we didn't have a lot of money. So uh, my favorite burger was usually the only burgers that I ever got were uh, burgers on a barbecue. You know, usually a family barbecue in my grandmother's backyard. My mom would, my mom was the grill master, and she would grill up burgers. 
So that was my favorite. We don't hear a lot of the mom being the grill master. We get a lot of dad. Yeah, no, my mom is the uh, my mom was the grill master in the family. Yeah, dad backyard might be number one answer. Olivia, what about you? Best burger from childhood. We, um, my mom always made a big treat out of going to McDonald's to play in the ball pit, and so <laughs> as a whole rounded out experience, uh, the trip to McDonald's, the burger at McDonald's, and the playpen was a whole thing altogether. So I have to say McDonald's, although I haven't had a McDonald's burger in probably 10 years. Um, I, from childhood, have nostalgic memories of those trips. McDonald's is our number two answer, I think. <laughs> <laughs> We're I, so I very, typical. <laughs> no, I have very similar memories myself. So. All right, let, let's switch it up. Jen, what was the last great burger you ate? The last great burger I ate? Um, I would have to say that would um, that would be Prime Meats burger with blue cheese on it. Oh yeah, I love that burger, and it's uh, around the corner from where I live, which is very dangerous to have that right there. Do they serve uh, any Empire beers there? Not yet. <laughs> we need to get on that. <laughs> Writing it down. <laughs> All right, Olivia, Olivia. What was the last great burger you ate? Um, actually, I am very spoiled. Every time I go up to Empire, I get an incredible tumbleweed burger, and it's made with Kobe beef from the farm across the street. We have uh, a farm across the street where we send our spent grains, and in return, we sell their burgers at our brew pub and our tasting room at the new facility. And so it's just the best meat that I've ever had. It's just an incredible burger. And tumbleweed is gouda, smoked gouda, and then tumbleweed onions, like fried onion strings, and uh, house-made barbecue sauce. Sounds good. I think we've got to make a trip. Yeah, I can attest to the fact that that is an amazing burger. Yeah. <laughs> well, so Brad, this is the opportunity where you go, man, I want to eat that burger. Maybe we should all make a beer together. Oh, <laughs> this is why you're the clever one, Rev. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm the one doing my due diligence, ladies. <laughs> what is the what is the one piece of advice you would give to someone in the food marketing business? The food marketing business. Let, or, the beer, say, or the let's beer. Or the beer. It's a food, beer, hospitality, yeah. restaurant business. Okay. The, the, the anything you can put in your mouth and have someone pay for a business. <laughs> Maybe not. A totally different podcast. I would say my my biggest piece of advice in general, regardless of what it is that you're marketing, is to stay true to who you are and what your concept is, um, and figure out what your unique strengths are and stick to those. Um, you know, not don't get distracted by what other people are doing and trying to replicate what they do because you know try to fit yourself into someone else's box doesn't always mean that you're going to be able to replicate their success because chances are you know their their success is is for a reason because they're good at a certain thing you know and if you try to you know, shift your concept like midstream, that just, you know, very rarely ever works out for anybody. One thing I always appreciate and take very seriously is attention to detail. Uh, I love when I go somewhere and they just have attention to detail and multiple little things that you notice just kind of round out the whole experience, um, whether it be ambiance or service or just a unique approach to um, their food or you know, beverage program. Detail goes such a long way, especially in New York City when you have so many options. It's important to pay attention to the little things that maybe are overlooked at most places. I, I love that answer, and I think that people who aren't in New York City 
don't understand the level of competition uh, that bars and restaurant owners have uh, to deal with. I mean, I know, again, I keep referencing my own experience, but Idle Hands, there were five other places on our block where you could get a beer. Yeah. That's a great answer. Well, Olivia and Jen, thank you for coming on the show today. Uh, some really great advice on a topic we've yet to talk about. So th thank you for that. Thank you for taking the time. Let's uh, give these two a chance to let everyone know where they can find information about Spring Lounge and Empire Brew online. Empire is uh, Empire Brew across all social media platforms, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And then our website is empirebrew.com. Yeah, and you can find us at uh, Spring Lounge on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And then uh, our website is uh, thespringlounge.com, and there you can sign up for our email lists to get you know emails about our upcoming events. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Like, Bite, and Share. We hope you found today's interview insightful. If you didn't get a chance to write down everything, no worries. We take the show notes for you. Go to schweidandsons.com slash podcast to find them. If you enjoy the show, we ask for one favor, and that's please give us a rating in iTunes. That helps us to spread the word to others who might find this valuable like you do. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss a future episode featuring helpful tips from other professionals in the food marketing business. Stay hungry.